Radio. I am your host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, Lori LeBay, and it's just an honor to be with you here today. We are going to have a fabulous show about love and hope and joy found in the depths of the maze of, of Alzheimer's and dementia. And you are uh, you're really going to appreciate, I think, the conversation that we have today with our author. But before I introduce uh, our, our introduce our guest, I always like to tell people a little bit about us because we're always getting new listeners. So Alzheimer's Speaks, if you're new, is an advocacy-based program um, that provides multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. And we do that by raising everyone's voice. And um, having respectful conversations because everyone's journey is different. We also help companies expand their brand footprint by leveraging our content uh, so that they can increase access to their products, services, and tools that, that people so badly need. And as listeners, you have to know we wouldn't be here without you. So I, I owe you so much. I, I am so grateful to each and every one of you. You see your likes, your clicks, and your shares with your Facebook fans, your Twitter tribes, your LinkedIn colleagues, your family members has been so important and critical because you are pushing us out, giving us a larger platform so that when people are ready, they're able to grab the information and feel they're, they've landed in a safe place. So again, I thank you so much uh, for all that you are doing, um, even though you think it might not be much. Those little likes, those clicks, those shares are powerful. And there are people within your sphere that need hope. They need knowledge. They need resources. And this is a way to help get that out to them. Um, I also want to invite you to be part of the conversation today. You can always call in and join us, and that number is 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. And know that you can always go to our main website as well, alzheimerspeaks.com, where you can find out more about us. Now, I want to give a shout out to Gable Pines. I've been doing a lot of educational programming for them. And this coming Friday, May 3rd, from 1030 to 1230, I'll be doing another educational program um, called As the Cookie Crumbles. And we're going to be talking about the progression of of the disease itself, um, but how to cope, how to find joy, um, how to... Um, maintain, you know, still your personhood while you're on this journey of caring for others. And you can call Gable Pines uh, in Venice Heights, Minnesota at 651-829-3171. That's 651-829-3171 to get more information um, from them. But this is a free event. I also want to give a shout out to uh, Diana Pierce with her wonderful program, What's Next with Diana Pierce, that you can find on Facebook. She interviews um, people on a variety of topics of aging and um, just does a great job. Also, the Dementia Action Alliance is having their second North American Dementia Conference June 20th through the 22nd down in Atlanta, and you can get more information on that conference by going to daanow.org. That's daanow.org. And I will shout out to um, my pals at Provalence who have created a dementia resource directory. 
um, called Care to Plan, and you can find more information out about the Care to Plan Dementia Resource Directory by going to Alzheimer's Speaks. And then just go to the big gold tab in the middle um, of our page um, that says resource directory, and you can learn more about that. So let me introduce you with uh, to our guest today. Uh, he is one amazing man, and I just feel so honored and and so aligned um, with with what his story is and how beautifully he has has put this into words. His name is uh, Carlin Maddox, and he was married to Martha, who was a spirited mother and a civic advocate. Um, and she turned 50. And when she turned 50, she was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, which was back in 1997. And um, Carlene was a career journalist, um, editor, and magazine owner in the Tampa Bay area. And um, he was also his wife's primary caregiver for 17 years. So he, he gets he gets the journey, and he is uh, has done such a beautiful job. He has written this book called A Path Revealed, and it's about how hope, love, and joy can be found in the deep maze um, called Alzheimer's. And he will explain that to us uh, more during our, our conversation. He talks that the, the book itself, it doesn't focus on the disease, um, it really focuses on this spiritual odyssey that unfolded before them. And I, I can so, so relate to that. So welcome, Carlin. How are you doing today? Gloria, I'm fine today. How are you doing? I'm I am doing well. I'm Florida, and it's just it's a wonderful day out here. Well, good. We're a little soggy up here in Minnesota with a little rain, but that's okay because things are greening up. So good, <laughs> well, good. it's, it's not snowing, so we're good. Um, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit more about about your wife and, and how and why she got diagnosed, What maybe what kind of symptoms you were seeing, just to give our audience a, a little better base than, than how I introduced you. Sure. Uh, Martha um, is from St. Petersburg, and we moved back here as a couple in 1975. Uh, and she was just very, very engaged politically, and she just was a high energy person. I, I mean, she just would exhaust me. I, I just didn't. Have, I'm, I'm six foot five, and she was five foot seven, but she just would run circles around me. That gives you a sense of the kind of energy and spirit that she had. And um, so she. Was uh, she helped manage political campaigns, and then she got into politics herself when she, in, in the mid to late 80s, uh, was served on the St. Petersburg City Council for six years. And uh, it, that, so that was the mid to late 80s. In 1996, Martha decided it was time for her. She wanted to run for the Florida State Legislature, and uh, this was an open seat, and um, with all of her involvement and connection in the community, I just thought that this was her race to win. The other people who were running had never been involved, really, politically. Uh, and, and there was one event here in town. Uh, we call it the Tiger Bay Club, but it was the most significant political event uh, of her campaign. And she and three other candidates were there on the podium, and um, – uh, the audience would ask a question, and each candidate had to respond to that question. So this was in this was in July or August of 1996. And uh, Martha, uh, uh, I've, I'd seen her in just dozens of events like this, and she is quick on her feet. She was smart. She had a sense of humor, and she responded just with common sense answers. And didn't didn't um, him and Hall and whatever else. Well, in this particular day, uh, when people would ask the questions, Martha had to ask for every question to be repeated. And I I did not know what was going on. And when she did give an answer, it sounded a little stiff. It sounded uh, a bit off off the mark. 
So when we got home, I said, Martha, what in the world was going on there? And she said, what do you mean? She thought everything had gone perfectly well. And uh, fortunately, I can say that today, that Martha lost that primary race by 20 votes. But that was very disheartening at the time. And uh, she, uh, our children and I began to wonder, Martha was beginning to forget names and appointments more frequently. And if you're in politics, that's the last thing you want to do. You cannot do that. And uh, so we kept pressing Martha or just said, Martha, why don't we get to a doctor and let's check out some things. And she was very hesitant about that. Finally, in July of, of uh, 97, uh, we, I, she got an appointment to go in uh, to see a neurologist, and I, she went by herself. She drove on in for that appointment, and uh, when I got home after work that night, I asked her how the, uh, how the appointment went, and she said, well, I had to wait too long for the doctor, so I just left, and I said, oh, my, um, and so... It took us another three months to get a, another appointment, As, and it was, it was another two months. August and September, early September, we got an appointment, and I went with her at that time. And then we had to. She went through a battery of tests that you have to go through, and uh, we got back, uh, got back home, and and uh, felt felt pretty good about all that, and we had to wait for two weeks, and. Uh, we went back in to get the results, and this was not the doctor that had done the had done the test. This was an associate of his that our doctor had to be called out on an emergency. So this doctor invited us into his office, and he, he was sitting behind a big desk, and he waved his hand for us to sit across this big desk from him. And This man could have passed for Mr. Spock on Star Trek. He was stiff. He was formal. He was cerebral. And then he began to talk in a very monotone voice, something to the effect of, I'm sorry, but it appears you have early onset Alzheimer's disease. And neither one of us had even heard of that much. I mean, if we had, I certainly had not paid attention to it. Martha was 50 at that time. I was 52. And uh, we looked at each other, and I, I, immediately our world was not turned upside down. It started imploding before us. And uh, so we got, we rushed home and just got, uh, uh, we just had a good cry. We didn't, we were lost. I mean, I, I, I write about, I felt like that we had been thrown out of a plane about 10,000 feet high and we ha- only had ourselves to hold on to here. And it, it was just a terribly distressing and disturbing time and went on that way, went that way for for a good while. I mean, just, all the way through, there's just surprises that you get through. So that's the, a little background on who Martha was and uh, how we got the news on this, how she got got the diagnosis on this, yes. Wow, what a journey. I, I think you're never prepared for those words. If you've heard them before or not, you know, it's just no. it's not wrapped not wrapped in a pretty package and um, more often than not doctors are how you describe they don't have a good bedside manner they don't have a lot of resources to give you or a lot of hope and and that's just devastating Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was um, what is the best advice that that you ever received for caring for your wife And, and I know you mentioned that you learned it in the first grade what was I that? think we all I think we all learned this in the first grade, Laura, and it was stop, look, and listen. And just you remember when you come up to a road crossing and you hit, walking over to school maybe, and you just you were taught to stop and look in both ways. Well, Martha, as as I mentioned, Martha was in um, just a high energy political civic involvement. I, I had an entrepreneurial type magazine that I was just uh, the publisher, editor in chief, bottle washer, uh, and I, I was going all the time. And it was just uh, it was it was a dramatic change of pace, and it was not it was not just a, all of a sudden. I just had to learn over over a period of time when when Martha would behave a certain way. I just had to stop 
and I started had to pay attention to what she was trying to say or do and, and just listen, not with my ears, but listen from somewhere in the depths of me. What is Martha trying to tell me? And uh, so it, it's, it's a whole different, um, I think you use the word for reframing. I've heard uh, on your website some, it is a reframing of the mind. It's a reframing of the heart. Uh, but it is not something you can learn. Uh, that I, It's certainly not something I could learn uh, uh, just overnight. And uh, it was a long process. I mean, once the full 17 years, and still stuff that I'm learning uh, at this point. Um, one of the things, Laurie, I think when I was talking about Martha and I got home and, and we uh, started just crying there, and then after we stopped her crying, Martha looked at me and she said, I do not want to tell a soul. I don't want to tell my parents. I don't want to tell my brothers. And I certainly don't want to tell our children. And I don't want to tell our friends. And that was a hard thing. I just sort of nodded. Well, okay, Martha. I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen. But uh, it did. And it was, um, but then there was one person that she was willing to talk to. He and she had been friends before us. He was a minister who married us. He was a Presbyterian minister. And so she was willing to talk with this Lacey Harwell. And I called Lacey. He was, he, uh, Lacey was retired at that point, lived in St. Pete, but also li- uh, commuted back and forth to Sarah, uh, South Carolina where he, his family had a farm. Uh, I called Lacey, and I said, Lacey, I, just, I can't tell you about it right now, but I just need you to come over. We need to talk to you. He says, I'll be over tomorrow. And uh, so Lacey did come the next day. And Lacey is, uh, I, 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 I said I'm 6'5", but Lacey's about 6'5", as well. But he's hes just a bigger-than-life personality. He packed a few more pounds on his body than I did. Um, so he enters the room, and he just fills the room with his personality and whatever else. And Martha and I sit down side by side in our living room, and I have Lacey sit in a chair across from us. And we, uh, said, I said, Martha looked at, nodded at me to start the conversation, and I said, Lacey, Martha's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And I, I, I saw this huge, this big man almost creep into his shadow. He just shrunk before my eyes almost. And he he recovered, and he he asked if he swapped seats, and he sat over next to Martha and just put his arm around her, and, and uh, we all cried again for a while. When we got through, Lacey said, you know, there is a, uh, a good friend of mine up in Kentucky. She is a retreat director at the Sisters of Loretta community there, and she was a nun. says, I have never come across anybody with, Sister Lane's gift of discernment. Uh, and I, I would encourage you to think about going to visit with her. I've sent up a lot of my friends and a lot of uh, members of my church who are going through one crisis or another, and it was just very meaningful for them. And I think it would be very meaningful for you. And so, and then he got up and, and left and left Martha and me to think about, well, what do we want to get in the car and drive up to Kentucky uh, so uh, at Martha was willing to do that on Lacey's word, and so we did. And that began sort of, that began what, if you want to call it a journey or an odyssey, uh, that was the beginning of it. And it was that was a very important time in our lives in terms of getting some insight from somebody beyond our own world, beyond our uh, self-absorption and whatever else. And that was just a really important time uh, as we spent with Sister Lane there for about a week. Wow. What, what a great comfort to, to get that kind of a resource, though, because so often people are just pushing books or specialists, you know, appointments, and um, they can just be very heavy um, and confusing yeah. and raising raising more questions. But to be able to actually go and spend time for a week um, what a what a blessing that was. Now, what were some of the hardest things that you've learned through your your seventeen year journey with Martha? Some of the hardest things. 
it was it was one of the hardest things was was not to get into an argument with Martha when she was saying something or doing something that just did not make any sense in the context of what we were trying to do. Um, and just to understand that it was time for me, if you want to use the expression, to go with the flow and just to see where it would go as far as Martha would not be put into harm or and she was safe and nobody else would be put into harm. Uh, I, I remember several times when we were at the airport and flying somewhere and uh, we'd be walking along and then suddenly Martha would just go up to a stranger and just start talking to them in gibberish and, and whatever else. And it just, that was just totally embarrassing to me. And I didn't, mm-hmm. didn't quite know what, what to say. I, I've, I've come across since that time uh, after we, we weren't flying, uh, but it was too late for me to be using, but there's, uh, you've probably come across uh, somebody Somebody had developed a little business card, and when they got mm-hmm. into those situations, they had the business card, and they gave it to the person and said, hi, my mother is so-and-so, and I appreciate your uh, concern with her. She has Alzheimer's disease. And that changed the stranger's uh, uh, complexion, and they're uh, wondering what's going on immediately. And that's just a, that's just a simple little thing that I wish I'd learned about early on as, as we went on. Uh, another one of the hardest things for me is I'm a bit of a perfectionist, Lori, and mm-hmm. to not be a perfectionist as a caregiver. Uh, and that was a hard that was a hard thing for me to do. I, I really beat myself up a whole lot because I didn't think I, I was not well, I was not getting Martha well. I was trying to get Martha well and I wasn't getting her well. And um, and a friend a friend of mine early on uh, who understood these kinds of crises a lot better than I did at the time uh, just gave me he said Carlin it's very important to be gentle on yourself just be gentle on yourself well every caregiver by now uh, as long as if they've been a caregiver for any length of time has heard you got to take care of yourself. You got to be gentle on yourself, but you really have to slow down and think that through because it's it's just you. I learned. I thought I could. I thought I could handle this by myself. I didn't need any help. I didn't need to ask any friends for help. And uh, I just learned the hard way. You can't do it alone. And no I think way. most. I think most of us approach it that way too. And especially when your wife said she really didn't want anyone to know if you're asking for help and that's opening kind of that Pandora's box and you're trying to be respectful and, and um, you know, when, when you're assigned to care or when you sign up to care for somebody, uh, that's a really important work. And I think we all know that. And so we don't want to screw it up. We, you know, and so we put, I think, even exactly. more, more pressure on ourselves to be even better at that than we are in our day-to-day work that we've had years of experience in. But we, we like, I think we add a lot of pressure to ourselves, um, not no realizing. Um, and, and when you were saying, you know, I wanted her to get better and she wasn't getting better. And then you think, well, what am I doing wrong? And it's like, it's not you, it's the disease. It's just, this is. This is the path. This is, um, and, and for me, it took me years, Carlin, but one of the, the biggest lessons I learned when I would get really frustrated was to ask, what's the lesson? What's the lesson? There's, there's got to be a reason we're going through this. And what I found was I wasn't focusing on the right stuff until I got mad enough to ask that question. And then it brought me to, okay, what is the purpose of this? And, you know, so often we we can't fix other people. We can't fix, you know, terminal illness. We can't, you know, there, and sometimes we just have to support and support is, is, is good. And sometimes even more brilliant than good Sometimes it's just yes. all somebody needs to know that they're not walking it alone and that you accept them as they are because they can't be perfect in your eyes anymore. And they can't be exactly. perfect in their eyes anymore. And 
And being able to sit with somebody in that authentic, accepting fashion is like one of the most loving things we can do. And yet we don't, I mean, for me anyways, that wasn't even on my checklist. I mean, you know, it was, it was all these other tasks that I had to do. So um, asking that question for me was a lifesaver, but I, I learned it way too far in the depths of my journey, you know, compared to what I would have liked to have, I would have liked a little 101 book to open up. Um, and I think that's one of the, the beauties of your book. And then you, you also have um, this wonderful, a wonderful um, PDF that people can, can download called how, um, how can my crisis be turned into a, a spiritual journey um, filled with meaning? And it is, it is short, it is easy, it is succinct, it is powerful, and it will change people's minds on what they need to focus on. So I highly, highly recommend that people go to your website and, and get that even before the book comes, because um, it'll give yeah. you a little in, inside peek there. Yeah. Get that. That's just, it's automatic. As soon as you sign up for my newsletter or blog, that will come come out to you. The the blog is for free, no 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 price on that. And uh, so yes, that that's available. It, it, one of one of the things, uh, Laurie, I, I I come from a Christian background, but Alzheimer's is indiscriminate. It doesn't matter whether you're Christian, Buddhist, atheist, or whatever else. Uh, and the thing I learned, I I, I had to write in. A Christian vocabulary because that's what I was familiar with, and, but I tried to get it beyond just uh, a little silo of being a Christian. Uh, but uh, each of us, we've got spiritual issues, if that's what we want to call it, or if you want to call them deep psychological issues or, or whatever. And one of the things that I learned through this whole process is I've got to realize those issues like anger, guilt, uh, resentment, uh, beat yourself up kind of stuff. I have to realize those and resolve that, those kinds of things as best I can as we move forward. And, and, and frankly, Martha did too. I mean, Martha had carried some resentment towards uh, her father for almost her whole life. And uh, that, I don't, know, I don't know if that was a contributor to this disease or not, but I know it certainly adds a lot of stress uh, emotional uh, stress and distress in our lives. Uh, so it, it's just, found, I found it very important. And I found, like with Sister Lane, uh, I found several other mentors as we proceeded through uh, the 17 years. Uh, and it's just whoever you feel comfortable with, whoever you trust as far as the insights they have, spend time with it. And that, I found that to be extremely important, and, and they just they've come up with things that you haven't even thought of. I, I know that we had a very we very fortunately had a sister-in-law who is just really sensitive to people and where they are. I mean, it was almost a uh, I, I I just haven't come across many people with that kind of sensitivity. And uh, early on, uh, two years into this with us. Uh, KK came to Martha and said, Martha, why don't you join a watercolor painting class with me? And um, Martha had never done any painting. She liked the, she liked the uh, active stuff, uh, tennis and the politics and dancing and that kind of thing. But because it was KK and she was good friends with KK, as well as being a sister-in-law, uh, she said, okay. And what what unfolded out of that those two years, over two, about two years, she was doing the, the watercolor. Just were some amazing paintings that came from, I don't know where they came from. I've got, uh, if, if you go to uh, my site and you can look under the, what's called about, and you, you can see there'd be some paintings under that that give you a, a, a sample of it. But there's one that I call her, call her uh, self-portrait. I don't know what Martha thought it was, but the color the use of colors in many of her paintings was just uh, beyond imagination for me. And uh, in fact, her, her art teacher came to me one day, just took me aside and said, Carlin, 
you can't teach this coloration. I don't know where this is coming from, but you just cannot teach it. So that's what unfolded out of Martha. I've talked with other people who music has just helped the person unfold and get uh, comfortable with their stage in life at that point. And so it's these are sort of little things, but they're just very important. Uh, in that watercolor painting class, Martha also had a lot of friends around her too. It wasn't an isolating experience, so that was that was equally important as as just the watercolor painting was. And so I just encourage uh, your uh, followers to just, and, and I'm sure you have as well, many times, just to look for these things that will draw the person out in some way. Well, and I think what's interesting, and, and the one that I have on the, the graphic for the radio show, you said that was her, her self-portrait, um, which is beautiful and shows shows the coloration and everything in there. Um, but I think what's interesting is, you know, we think, well, they've never done that. They can't do that. How could they ever do that? I mean, uh, but, you know, as the disease progresses, I think one of the gifts is their filters are gone and they're not so worried about what anyone thinks about anymore you know what they're doing what oh, they're that's saying true. sure <laughs> and and so they're much freer to just do yeah. what they feel like doing because I, I know for my mom you know when her um i say when her ego left the room there was this pure joyfulness because she just she just didn't care you know and yeah. she wanted to have fun she wanted to be engaged and try things in her own fashion and she wasn't self-conscious because that that was gone and it's like oh what a peaceful place that would be you know to yeah. To, yeah. to teach yeah. all of us yeah. to kind of kick that ego ego to the curb and just really be passionate and i i also found with my mom too that when that happened um one of the big gifts that that i saw in the journey was i got to see my mom play again really at a childlike ah. level. And that was that would be something I never would have experienced without that disease because as adults we're very protective and we do things in certain ways right. and and you know and then that allowed me to kind of push some of my stuff aside and say this is important. You know, we really shouldn't be taking right. ourselves so seriously, you know. Yeah, I know. And, I know. And so that that's very cool. And those those um, you know pieces, uh, you know, if no matter how how long they last or how short, it's about that they happened. And it's about teaching yeah. us to notice that they've happened. And to, to me, those are the warm fuzzy things that I remember. I mean, now that my mom's gone, I can still go to YouTube and watch pictures of her singing with a musician. Mm. In her in yeah. her under and stages, and I can be having the worst day of my life, and I go there, and it makes me smile, and it's like everything's okay, everything's okay, you know. And yeah. those are the things that 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 um, stick with you. It's not usually those big flashy moments that you know we think is the whole buildup of life. It really is the small, yeah. small little things. Um, so yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, and and I would encourage people to go to your website and check out that about uh page to see um more of her more of her her works there um you know one of the things you say it, it's so important to be attentive to the little things in a crisis um right. can you explain a little bit more maybe give some examples of that for for people this this is yes uh, I mean, just paying attention to that art uh, and seeing that unfold and develop, what that did for Martha, up until that time, Mar Martha had been her whole life an extremely confident person. But with the news of this Alzheimer's, her confidence disappeared. And um, and and over the that two years or so, her, her talking became a little bit more disjointed. But when she started painting, uh, it, her confidence began to blossom again. I thought her confidence was gone forever. Uh, but her confidence began to blossom again, and she began to talk, and, and she actually had 
the teacher had put her paintings up in a show out at St. Pete Beach here, and Martha was just totally excited about that. And so that that's a, that's a little thing, but these little things are really big things. Another thing I would share just on a different kind of dimension, Lori, um, from this Sister Elaine I talked about earlier, she suggested to us before we left that we might want to check out uh, meditation. Neither one of us had slowed down enough to even think about meditation or even look at it, and I was I was a little bit off. I, back in the 70s, there was this uh, TM, this Transcendental Meditation uh, fad and movement, and uh, I, it just didn't really interest me. But we, we did begin to, and we checked out a, a, a Benedictine monk by the name of Father John Main and began to sort of use his form of meditation. What that did, Martha and I would sit down side by side, holding each other's hands, and I would repeat just very quietly this mantra that we had selected, just say it over and over again. And we would do that about 20 minutes in the morning and as we could 20 minutes in the evening. Uh, Over time, it was nothing immediate, but over time, I could sense Martha's anxiety level going way down as my anxiety level was also going way down. And that was just just to get into sort of that relaxed kind of mindset. But more, well, not more important, but equally important to that, as we would do this, I sensed an intimacy between Martha and me that we had not experienced in the 25 years of our marriage. And I'm not talking just a sexual intimacy. I'm I'm just there was there was a dimension there that we had just never really there was a communication a communion kind of thing going on between us mm-hmm. and i I remember uh, after Martha moved into a nursing home in two thousand and eight um, at that time, Martha was not talking, she was not walking, not able to take care of herself, and when I would visit her I'd visit her five or six days a week, uh, and I'd find her in her room. She would either be in her chair or in her bed, and she'd be curled up uh, just with her armor behind her back and just sort of in a fetal position and just seemed to be tense. And I would go in and say, hi, Martha, this is Carlin, and she might recognize me or might not. But I would sit down beside her, and I would just slip my hand, my right hand into her left hand and sit there for a minute, and then I would begin to use this form of meditation again, just silently, quietly repeating this word. And it wasn't long, most most times, it wasn't long before Martha's body began to just unfold and just straighten out and to just relax. And I, I don't want to make too much of this, but there was just sort of a presence beyond us in this room that I just haven't experienced before or since those very special times that we had that, again, there was a communication, a communion going on between Martha and me uh, that uh, words uh, words weren't, there were, words were impossible for communication at that point. It's, uh, it, that, that was just very meaningful for us. And uh, it may be something that somebody else would want to try to check out to see if that would be of any value or any help to them. Yeah, um, oh, interesting, very interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you, too, um, Carlin, you know, Alzheimer's isn't just, you know, a physical disease that, that attacks the brain, but, you know, you talk about it can be soul-destroying um, exactly. because of, of, you know, kind of this in, embedded marketing of fear and guilt and alienation mm-hmm. and isolation and depression. And I mean, it just kind of goes on and on and, and people, you know, people are scared of it and they don't know what to do. And so then they, they pull away from it or they're just so uncomfortable and don't want to learn about it um, because, Oh, mm-hmm. what if that happens to them? Um, what did you do to kind of resolve that and, and move through that for you? Well, uh, one, I didn't recognize this in the beginning, Lori. Um, mm-hmm. But at that time with Sister Lane I talked about and with some other mentors, those were very helpful. I, I, when, when Martha got the diagnosis, 
I asked our doctor, are there any support groups? And he said, well, I know of one, uh, but he said I wouldn't recommend it because of the caregivers in that support group, their uh, spouses are in a, just the very last stages of this disease. And I think you would come out more depressed than you would that would be helpful. So I, didn't, I couldn't find any support groups, but it, today there's just a lot better resources. I mean, such as what you're doing. There was nothing like that in 1997. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but I read, I read a ton of books. Uh, not all, not all of them. There weren't that many uh, on Alzheimer's uh, care in those days. Uh, there was the 36 hour, which is sort of the grandparent the classic uh, of all the books. And read another one, uh, Frequently Asked Questions uh, About Alzheimer's, which is very important uh, and very easy to understand um, uh, for us at the time. But just other books, uh, the, uh, I'm, well, I can't, I can't remember the author's name at this point, but um, just getting to resources was, was very helpful. But as I... Uh, when my children were able to give me a weekend a month off after our two oldest ones came home after college. And I, I, I spent a good bit of time just going away for the weekend and not having to be responsible for Martha for that weekend. Oftentimes went to a, a, a monastery uh, north of us here in St. Petersburg uh, and where I could just vent and just go walking and, and just uh, take a nap whenever I wanted to, and uh, just uh, and read as well. And just the, the brothers there, they would get as involved with you as you let them. I, I would have meals with them, and they were fun to be around. But I just spent an awful lot of time trying to sort through this and and uh, uh, arguing with God, if you will, and uh, ha- however you communicate along those lines. Uh, and and it, that that was just very important. It, it gave a it helped me help give me a perspective on issues that I was having to deal with, such as I was realized I was carrying a lot of resentment most of my life, some, some towards my parents that I just never resolved. And I, I found out about resentment. I mean, oftentimes resentment, you're right, and the other person who's angered you is wrong, but you're the one who's paying the price. And so it was just important to get that stuff cleared out of me, and it was important for Martha to get that stuff cleared out. So that's that's a little bit of of what I'm talking about here. Yeah, well that that makes sense, and I, I think I don't know I when I kind of stepped into this space, you know, ten years ago, that was one of the frustrating things to me. One was I thought we had this huge need to raise all voices because all of us affect. Um, the journey, you know, uh, just because the way where we we interact and impact one another, but the the other was shifting from fear to hope, you know, giving people exactly. a reason to continue to live, to to teach them how to how to connect when words are lost, you know, and and it's not something that we don't know how to do. It, it's just that we have been we have framed it that well, we only have to do that when somebody's young. You know, and then we grow out of that. And it's like, you know, we have these skills, we use them all the time, but we're not, we're not consciously aware of using kind of those multisensory skills. Like when you said, um, you know, you talked about having to to stop, look and listen, you know, that's really taking in all those nonverbal signals that somebody's right. giving us and trying to figure out, well, what's, what's causing this? What's the angst about? You know, why is somebody sad? Why is somebody happy? I mean, we can use it for all different reasons, you know, all the swings of emotions that we have and um, really learning to focus on that. And and I love how, you know, when you talk, you said, you know, everybody can has different beliefs. And, you know, typically when I go out there, I say, you know, in, in, in your God or higher power. And I said, maybe you don't believe in one. Maybe you believe you have all the answers Then go to your higher self and, and ask that That's person. right. Because if you're frustrated right now in this moment, you don't have the answer. So you got to get to your higher self that has a broader so some, view. Some, some way we've got to get outside ourselves. However, yep, however it, we can do that. Exactly. But, exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. Were you going to say something else? 
Well, just uh, adding to your uh, comment about just asking questions, why is my spouse, why is Martha acting this way? It's just equally important to ask the question, why am I reacting? Why am I reacting this way? And oh, to good. Try, and try to get out of that kind of uh, box that uh, we've built around ourselves uh, for so long over so many years. So it, it, those questions got to have got to cut both ways, yes. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times, you know, um, it, and I, I learned this, you know, from so many different people, but again, I don't think that we have this conversation enough. You know, we, we term things that we don't like they do as a behavior and a behavior is really a, is scolding. You know, it's very demeaning right. and really all, all it is is a reaction. It's just a reaction right. to a set of circumstances and they're trying to give us clues, but we're so stuck in our disappointment or frustration or embarrassment or whatever it might be in that moment. We're not looking at the clues you know, to help them out. And, and, you know, we're, we're kind of their, their lifeline here. And so, um, or, or other times, I don't know if you ran into this. I know I did this on, on way more than one occasion, didn't even know I was doing it, but I would be in a, in a bad mood or a stressed mood. And I thought I covered it up really well. And my mom would be in a perfectly <laughs> fine mood. And I would walk in with my kind of Stepford wife smile, pretending like everything's okay. And then she'd get kind of cranky. And then I'd be mad at her because she was cranky. Well, she was fine before I walked in the room. She was just mirroring back, <laughs> mirroring back me, you know, in my attitude. And, 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 no, you know, that, you, that never happened to me, Lori. <laughs> you know, and it, you can laugh at it now because it's so simple. And it's like, how do we miss this? How do we miss this? But I think, again, well, it's, it's because it's we put such pressure. Process. Yeah. And but and we put such clearly. pressure on ourselves to, to be perfect. And, you know, and we're trying so hard that I think it, it really blinds our sight sometimes. So um, having this, this spiritual connection, this way to calm down, slow down, and, and get re-centered, yeah. um, reframe things, it makes all the difference in the world. Why is it so important for for um, caregivers, care partners, care companions, whatever you want to call them, to, to break out of their kind of isolation and, and share their stories. Why, why do you think that's so powerful and important? Uh, because as they, as they share, well, as I share, I, I, I'm still learning things about our story. I, I'm still learning things about myself and about Martha and the whole, whole experience that we went through. But it, uh, in sharing, you get other people to share back with you, and you you get oh I hadn't thought of this or yeah I I need to do, try that and uh, you, and that can in a good support group that can be done in an excellent kind of fashion where everybody is dealing with similar issues but not the same issues and mm-hmm. and so to to get connected in a support group. And and it's very important. Very important. Uh, I think in a person-to-person support group, I, I, I I'm well aware of the support groups that you can find online, uh, but it's, there's there's just something that's missing there versus just developing a personal relationship with people and becoming friends with people who are who know what you're talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot of a lot of our friends in the beginning would not understand what I'm talking about. And I'm sure that was the case with you and with anybody. Yep. Um, so, but to get outside of yourself like that, but also to be able to tell someone, you know, I would say a good friend of Martha's, uh, I've got to be somewhere. Can you come over and be with Martha or maybe uh, go shopping with her or something like that? Just, I mean, it took me forever to just realize I need to ask those kinds of questions. I need to get that kind of help. And uh, uh, being a guy, you know, we guys can handle all this stuff. Uh, it just, that, that's a very hard lesson, and, but a very important kind of lesson to learn as, as you're learning things about yourself and about your spouse. Yeah. Well, and and didn't you find, I I hear this from so many people, and I know I I haven't written a book myself. Um, I've got two of them in the works, but I haven't haven't finished them. But just 
writing my blog and things, I just found it really healing just to get it out of me and onto paper. You know, it was it was a way to to kind of release and acknowledge what had happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just found that really comforting, even if somebody never, yeah. never shares, you know, at all. We've got a caregiver who just typed in that they've been a, a care partner now for 15 years. And if they have a, yeah. a question they want to ask, please, you know, feel free to to do that or make a comment and join us. We've got about nine minutes left here. Um, okay. I, I just, um, like I said, I, I just highly recommend your your book um, again it's called a path revealed how hope love and joy found us um, deep in a maze called alzheimer's and it's just um it is written so beautifully and i i i i don't say that lightly i mean you brought me to tears just because you were you're so clear and yet your message is so soft and kind and loving i mean you could just like a hug coming out um, as you read this book, it's quite beautiful. Thank you, thank you. One one of the things that you're are you there? Can you hear me? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. One of one of the um, things I just add on to what you're saying about just getting something down on paper and, and seeing it. Uh, I I started a, keeping a journal almost from the get go, and I didn't I didn't start keeping it because I was in a, a journalist or a writer. Or because I was doing it for spiritual discipline reasons, I had so much information coming at me from so many different directions. It was just I I, I had to get it down, um, and but that that turned out to be uh, the backbone. I I got down information, but I also got down my feelings, what I was thinking, why am I doing this, and whatever whatever else. And um, it turned out to be. Uh, the backbone, but I, I I didn't start the journal with the intention of writing a book. I, that was the farthest thing from my mind. Uh, it was mm-hmm. mostly a resource, but that's just that's just very important to have that kind of resource that you can go back to uh, as, as you are researching and searching for for answers in your own way. And I wound up uh, keeping that uh, went through fourteen. 14 journals on that, 14 volumes of that before I just shut it down when Martha went into the nursing home in 2008. Uh, and, but that, that was very important for me in my experience as we went through this. Mm-hmm. Um, would you have any um, advice for children caring for their parents or grandparents? Um, that might be helpful for some of our audience too. Yeah, I, I, as I mentioned, our two older children, after they got out of college, uh, offered to give me a weekend a month off. So they were getting direct, hands-on kind of experience. Um, but I've tried to put myself like, like in your shoes uh, in terms of caring for your parents. Uh, it, it's a, It's it's the same kind of thing as a spouse caring for a parent, but it's not the same kind of thing because you've got a whole set of friends uh, that are just at a, at a different age level. Um, but it's some of the same same basic stuff. You can't do it all, and you, you need to seek whatever help you can. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to get, uh, as, as I was working with my magazine, fortunate to be able to get uh, caregivers to come in during the day, uh, but uh, that's not always possible for people. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of uh, just who are my parents' friends? Who can I call on to help them to help me? Uh, I need to, I need a four hour break today, uh, mm-hmm. and, and be just feel comfortable calling your parents' friends. Uh, I know that I talked with a woman in in Nashville, uh, and she, uh, her good friend. She set up she set up a network where got about half a dozen of uh, her good friends friends to come in two at a time to come in for four or five hours, uh, well, a couple two or three hours a day to go shopping, to go to lunch, uh, to do whatever, uh, go go walking, go hiking, uh, and it's. And she organized that, and the people were willing to do it like once a week or once every two weeks. 
but it, you just got to be intentional about that kind of stuff, Laura. Yep. Yep. I agree. I know I kind of hid it from my folks, friends, and then I would get mad when they would ask my folks to go travel. And then I'm like, well, oh. I can't be mad at them. They don't know. We've hidden this so well, you know, it was just ridiculous. Right. And, and you just yeah. kind of go, oh, you know, I'm part of the problem here. So um, you had to had to switch that. <laughs> had to switch that up a little bit. Um, that's for sure. Well, I mean, I, you, it, it's clear it's it's clear that you have come a long way. I mean, what you're doing with your uh, site uh, and program or whatever is just extremely helpful. And uh, if people are not uh, tapping into it, they really need to. And I, I commend you for. Uh, just bringing everything you've been learning to bear on in this side. It's impressive. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's, you know, I think we all can move through this and with this faster and create services that we need and products and tools, mm-hmm. you know, if we just raise everyone else's voices and if we sometimes stop trying to duplicate what everyone else is already doing and, you know, refer people to something that's working well and then maybe create something else that's needed. Um, and, and not that it's, it, it's not good to have more of certain things, but I think there comes, especially in this day and age when staff is short, money is tight, um, we really need to evaluate that much more um, so that we yeah. are, are helping communities and, and helping the workforce, too. Um, somebody had just made a comment saying, you know, try going for a job interview and tell them you've been out of the, wor- out of the workforce for 15 years and see where it gets you. You know, oh, yeah. that that role isn't given isn't given and honored um, kind of it's it's due uh, for for what they're what they're helping and what they're learning in that whole process. And, you know, we we do need to educate um, businesses and communities as well as families, as well as physicians um, as to what are the true needs here and, and how do we how do we push through this? Now, people can go to your website. Um, and, um, that is just www and then it's Carlin, C-A-R-L-E-N and then Madox, M-A-D-D-U-X.com. Um, or they can email you at Carlin at CarlinMadox.com as well. And your book, again, is called A Path Revealed, How Hope, Love, and Joy found us deep in a maze called Alzheimer's and people can get that um, on Amazon and get that delivered right to their door. Um, So I, again, I just thank you so much. We've got about two minutes left. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? Uh, Laura, we've said this several times through here and uh, and it, it becomes a cliche, but please do learn to take care of yourself. Please under please understand that the stress that's on you is not something that you probably experience in any other aspect or whatever else. And just uh, whatever you've got to do to sort of give yourself a break, to go have some fun, to have some laughs. Uh, not everybody is able to do it, and some people I know do this 24/7, and I don't know how they do it. But uh, I, I just I pass that on. I know I hate to talk in terms of cliche like that, but it's just maybe if we say it enough, and maybe as we're talking to, as you're talking about educating, realize the fact, realize the fact that as much as much as it's advanced in the last 10 to 15 years there is still a real stigma associated with this kind of this crisis. And we just need to need to push on through that as best we can. We sure do. We sure do. Well, thank you so much for your thank time you. today and, and your beautiful book. And again, don't forget to um, subscribe to Carlin's blog and then you will get the, how can my crisis be turned into a spiritual journey filled with meeting. I, I, it's just so powerful and well done. In fact, I'm going to send it to a friend right now who is struggling with cancer, and I think it's going to help her out immensely. So um, have a beautiful week, everyone, and um, spread the word of this uh, show and let it help others. Thanks so much. Bye now. Thank you, Lori. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.